Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... Mm-hmm. We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. We'll have them all week leading up to the NFC Championship game between the Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles, and possibly daily for the next two weeks after that, I guess we'll see. Matthew Collar here along with Judd Zolgad. Judd, how are you? I'm very good. How are you, sir? I am doing great. So as we sort of move ourselves on and, and start looking toward Philadelphia, I want to touch on one more thing before we get there. Now sure. that we've had some time to put the other night in perspective, and it's not just you and I in some coach's box after the game yelling at each other, can you believe what we just saw? Mm-hmm. Um, where do you stand on the meaning of Stefan Diggs's catch? In terms of greatest playoff moments, greatest moments in Minnesota sports history, what was your prevailing feeling about that play? Uh, as far as in terms of the league itself, I mean, it's way up there, right? I don't think... I think what I read was a game – there have certainly been walk-off wins before of certain types. I believe this was the first of this ilk, though, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so so I think as far as the league goes, it's huge. Uh, in this town, it's huge with the ability to be enormous. And by that, I mean this. I put that catch as far as, as moments right now – and I think I can say this without a recency bias – issue i put that catch number two on my list of moments in this town's uh, at least professional sports history it is given when it happened how it happened matthew mm-hmm. uh the game it happened in all of, of those things and when you consider we're talking about a franchise who it always goes wrong for so like we're not talking about a a third year team that just had a nice run and then got a, a fortunate break we're talking about a team that's been around for what 57 years since 61 and and all of those things to me make it number two on the all-time list in this town to uh to Puckett's game six home run in 91 but it has the ability i think to move past it if this is paid off with a super bowl title oh okay i i think that the digs catch leapfrogs pocket and goes to one given what this franchise and fan base has been through if 
that catch leads to two more wins now. I think it goes to one because it erases so much. Right now, if right now it's a really cool play, and and I think twenty five years from now, if you bring up Stefan Diggs's name, people are going to talk about this catch. But if they win the Super Bowl, it redefines, I think, this this franchise, and it erases a lot of bad things. I agree that there's a huge difference between if they win and don't win for how this is looked at in both local and historical perspective. You know, I, you think about that Aaron Rodgers. Hail Mary against, what was it, Arizona, where Arizona somehow goes on to win, but Rodgers throws the crazy Hail Mary. And the fact that they they lost that game, we basically have never talked about it ever again other than to say, oh, yeah, that was a thing that happened, but ultimately it didn't really mean as much. And from a local perspective, you'll still remember how fun that was, but I think ultimately you'll end up with a bitter feeling because – not only would you not make the Super Bowl, but someone else would then come to your town who beat you. <laughs> and that, I mean, that, that would make it all the worse, and I think the sting would be so hard to get over, especially if it doesn't go well in Philadelphia, that it would eliminate everything that happened. And, you know, I have some recent perspective on this myself with the Buffalo Bills basically had this same thing happen. They needed Cincinnati to pull off a miracle on fourth down and throw more or less a Hail Mary to in order for the Bills to get in the playoffs. The Bengals did it. All of Buffalo exploded and lit cars on fire and jumped into tables and everything else. And the mm-hmm. very the very next week they lose ten to three in one of the worst football games I've ever watched in my entire life. And then it was just for all all the people of Buffalo like, well, okay, I guess that was a fun week, but none of it really mattered since the playoff game was so hideous. And I don't think it'll be quite to that level here, but it will kind of have somewhat of the same feeling. It will still be up there, but it will be followed every time you bring it up. Oh, remember the digs catch? Ah, yeah, and the way they lost in Philadelphia. Now, here's my question for you then. Is there a difference to you if they make the Super Bowl versus win the Super Bowl on the historical perspective on that play? There is, but but let me be very careful here. I mean, I started to follow this team in 1978. I have a vague recollection of watching the fourth Super Bowl loss in January of 77, okay? Um, there are a lot of Vikings fans near 50 who, who are not familiar with, with the four Super Bowl defeats. They know about them, certainly, Matthew, but they didn't see them. Uh, so I'm being careful by saying, obviously, if, if you pay this off with a Super Bowl championship, the Diggs catch becomes franchise-defining. But I would not sell this team short, and I would not sell sell the thought base of the, or the thought process, I should say, excuse me, of the fan base short on this. Making the Super Bowl and hosting it here, even if you lose to the Patriots, Matthew, would be a huge, huge deal. So, so yes, I mean, clearly, if, if you win two more games, the story arc of this franchise at that point changes completely. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of fans here who, if, if they just make that game, are going to say, it's about time. Uh, so I, I don't dismiss that. And, and I think that there's some who, who say it's, it's a Super Bowl championship or bust. When you haven't been to the Super Bowl in this long, and, and keep in mind, you lost heartbreaking NFC title games in 87, in 98, and 2009. 
it would be a big deal to some just to make that game. Yeah, that's a good point because if you're of a certain age and you watch them lose four Super Bowls, and I, I can relate to this growing up in Buffalo, having seen them lose four Super Bowls, if the Bills were to make the Super Bowl this year and lose it, it, I would be really disappointed in them and say, well, that man, you just another lost Super Bowl. But yep. people who grew up and didn't see those Super Bowls would probably be thrilled just to be there. Like, wow, our team made the Super Bowl. And, and I would lean toward that with the Vikings, that if you make the big game and you end up playing it at your home stadium and Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, beats you, then you might just shrug your shoulders and say, you know what? That was a great run. That was so mm-hmm. much fun. And you go down as his, in history as being in the Super Bowl. And, I mean, nobody remembers the NFC Championship teams. You could go up to any football guy on the street and be like, hey, football guy, who was in the NFC Championship two years ago? And they'd be like, ah, I don't know. But, but if you said, but if you what said, football guy say? Ah, I don't know. But if you, uh, it, it, but if you went up to someone and asked who was in the Super Bowl two years ago, they'd probably remember pretty quickly, right? I mean, yes. we rem- I remember it's the Chargers in the 49ers, right? You go back to, what's that, 93 or 94? 94, 94 like, I believe, but you you're re- exactly right. You yeah. remember who's in it. You don't – I well, I do. I know because I have problems. I know that uh, the Chargers beat the Dolphins to get there, but um, most people, you, they'd remember who was yeah, in the Super care. Bowl but not who I'm won the you. championship. So unless you completely melt down, it, it generally goes untalked about, unforgotten. So I think they have to win this game in Philadelphia for all of that to historically matter in this town and in the NFL. Right, right. But my, my point is Diggs' catch becomes franchise-defining if, if they, they win two more games. I mean, at that point in time, I, I would liken if Diggs' if Diggs's catch pays off with a, a Super Bowl title, I would liken it to the Red Sox in in – you know, the Buckner play is still probably painful to a certain degree, but it's largely gone, right? Yeah. I mean, as, as soon as Boston won the first World Series title, you went from being like, ah, oh, it's the curse, it's the curse of Babe Ruth and the Buckner play screwed us and this screwed us. And those things still might hurt a little bit, but they're largely gone. The Diggs play, I think, if they win two more games, will go down as the defining moment of this is when things changed for a franchise that couldn't win huge games, basically. And, and I might end up thinking of it as somewhat of a baseball analogy, like a Bill Mazarowski home run where, you know, 50 years later, it's still replayed, and people still talk about it. Mm-hmm. And every time Stephon Diggs' name is brought up, that touchdown, you immediately go there, just like you would with Mazarowski on the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's just, mm-hmm. It just becomes part of who the franchise is. If you win it, then my vote would be this. If they're making a statue, then Stefan Diggs throwing the helmet is the statue. Not him going up to get it. Him throwing no, it's the leaping. helmet. It's, no, it's leaping. It's leaping, and you got to get the Saints safety flying by. <laughs> oh, man. That's got to be part of the statue. Just the Saints safety, head down, barreling past Diggs. But I think it's got it's got to be him going up. His legs are sort of split and catching that ball. I think that's the statue. I say it's with the helmet flying and it's with his arms out. Like the helmet is flying, his arms are out. They can that's, do that with statues. Fair enough. That's that's fair. that's mine. Um, anyway, uh, real quick before we move on to some conversation about the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, if you didn't if you didn't catch this, I thought it was really funny. Um, 
I, we had a chance to talk with Caleb Jones, who was the first guy that ran and grabbed Stephon Diggs and mm-hmm. lift, lifted him up and all that. Because I've been watching the different reactions, and Caleb Jones, for a, a moment, it clicked in his head as he was running towards Stephon Diggs that he may have committed a penalty by running onto the field as Diggs was going into the end zone. And when he saw the ref throw the flag, he thought for a split second that he may have blown it. and Or maybe maybe it was before the ref threw the flag. But he thought he was going to draw a penalty and possibly have that play called back. Can you imagine if Caleb Jones, this practice squad guy, had ruined the greatest moment in Minnesota Vikings history? Now, I, I don't think that would have called back the touchdown, but maybe it would have if, someone, if guys were running on the field from the sideline uh, before he even got into the end zone. I thought that no was official, funny. no official, no official is that dumb. No, I don't no, care no. if it's a, I don't care if it, it was supposed to call back the touchdown or, or not. At that point, if you're Gene Serator, you're thinking to yourself, how do I get out of this stadium alive? I know how get off the field as fast as possible. Get off the field. I think so, that about Music City Miracle. Hard. I think they know it was a forward pass for Music City Miracle, but it was in Tennessee and they thought, no way are we calling back the greatest play that that, that organization's ever had because it was a foot forward. But that thing was true a story. True story. Uh, 1972 immaculate reception by uh, in in the Pittsburgh Oakland game. Franco Harris, I believe the play. If you go back and watch it, is is somehow somehow there is a penalty of some sort. Okay. Oh, I know what it is. You can't. The defender back then, the defender, if he touched the ball, you couldn't catch it. Okay. Okay, perfect. So, but basically the official said, are we going to really throw a flag here? We're in Pittsburgh. These people are nuts. And the officials are like, let's just go home. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was, same, a, same thing. There was a famous Patriots one against the Bills. They call it the just give it to him game where the NFL films Mike picked up one of the referees being unsure if someone was out of bounds on a catch and saying, just give it to him. Yeah. <laughs> Like yes. actually saying, just give it to him. I mean, so, yeah. uh, but in in this case, uh, I don't think that Caleb Jones did commit a penalty because he was clearly still out of bounds until he went in. But it's funny that it ran through his mind that he may have been on the field. And some of the other reactions that were funny, Everson Griffin with the just completely stunned face. And I noticed something they tweeted out. So Griffin is just, his eyes are wide, his hands are up. He can't believe what he just saw. And C.J. Ham, the fullback, walks by and just gives him a little tap on the back like nothing just happened. And Ham just walks on by. And I was like, C.J. Ham, the uh, nerves of steel, right? Like, okay. Griffin's, just... <laughs> Griffin's eyes are fantastic. Yes. They are They are literally, and I'm not, I'm not going overboard here, they are bugging out of his head. Yes. That's not hyperbole. They are bugging. Griffin's eyes are bugging out, and in the entire time that they show him, his eyes don't change. And and even when he was doing that interview with Josina Anderson, his eyes did not change. And in the locker, well, in the locker room, his head was down at his locker for a very long time. I think just trying to process uh, what had just happened. So a, a great great moment for the Vikings, and I guess we're going to find out just what kind of level of a moment in our memories it will be. Um, before we get to some conversation about the Vikings and Eagles, Judd, I just want to let our listeners know about the Purple Podcast Big Game Special Edition powered by Sprint. So you, Judd, and I will be talking about all things associated with the big game. That's 
when we get to Big Game Week, Judd, we're going to be doing special purple podcasts. So we would like to thank Sprint for their partnership with this special edition podcast. To learn how you can get Sprint's incredible unlimited plan that includes Hulu, visit a local Sprint store today. Sprint works for me. Uh, let me ask you about the field, Judd. You're a field expert, aren't you? I love talking football fields. I love talking about them. Bring it on. Mike Zimmer, now this is the most football thing I've ever heard, was breaking down how you avoid slipping on a garbage field. And I guess two-part question. A, it's the NFL. How is your field such trash? And B, do you think the field will be a factor in Vikings-Eagles? Because it seems Mike Zimmer does. This is why if, I, if I'm the Vikings, I was on Saturday night cheering for Atlanta. I wanted, I, I don't care who you played. My point was stay home. Controlled environment, you're indoors, you're on, you're on turf. Now you got to go on the road uh, to a field. Here's what I don't get about this whole thing. And, and this is true of Philadelphia. It's certainly true we know of Pittsburgh. It's certainly true of Chicago where the park board runs the field. There's about five or six of the fields in, in this league. And I don't know how the league doesn't come in Washington and tell them we got to clean this up. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and especially, I mean, it's 2018. Wouldn't you think there'd be some way to get these fields right? And, and, but, but you know, this isn't the old days of AstroTurf where guys basically, you know, pop tendons and stuff. You now got turf. That's at least better. I don't understand how a game, a billion dollar game, is played on these fields, which is so crappy. And do, do I think that it could be a factor on Sunday? I absolutely do. I think there's no question. Guys can slip. Footing is difficult to get. Uh, there's lots of factors here. But I do – I've thought this for a few years. I don't understand how this league doesn't address field conditions uh, m- more aggressively or be more proactive with them. Yeah, oh, I definitely agree with that because it seems like uh, baseball plays a game every single day and yet they figure out how to keep the field in good enough position, yet football plays a game once a week, and I know there's a lot more running around on it and people falling on it and things like that, but, I mean, in, in baseball they have replacement turf all over the place uh, that they grow in the outfield and things like that or in the bullpen, and it seems like it's not that big of a deal, and yet I'm sure it's harder than we think it is, but how is that acceptable at this point to be playing playoff games on dirt that looks like you're playing from the 1970s? It really surprises me. Now, where it makes the biggest difference, I'm trying to decide. Because Mm -hmm. the, the running backs, I think, would have a tough time cutting the offensive defensive linemen. You remember in that Super Bowl with Carolina and Denver, that the Carolina offensive linemen, including Mike Remmers, were just on skates. Sliding. San Francisco, right? Uh, Santa Clara? Yeah, uh, was that where it was? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the, yeah. the turf was just a disaster, and they that were sliding bad. back, um, and that really killed Carolina's protection of Cam Newton in that game. And I wonder if in the trenches, which will be very important in this game, will be the biggest advantage for the defensive lines. Yeah, good uh, good question. I just I, I think about things like the kicking game. I think about things like mm. you know if Keenum scrambles around, do, does he can he be as effective? I mean, the answer might be yes. I don't know. It's just this comes back to to, to something that I've th- thought about way too much for far too long about 
field conditions. And I mean, so you're going to play on Sunday this incredibly important game. And as you've said, guys are going to be slipping around and they're going to be sliding. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, is this going to work? And and you would think of all all of the concerns that, that you would have going into a game this important, that, that field conditions shouldn't be a, a primary one. And yet, if you're the Vikings, it probably is. So it's probably me, a big concern. Well, let me ask you this. So that that's a factor that is going to be there. And maybe running routes would also be part of it. Um I want to know in your mind, Judd, how you could see the Vikings winning, how you could see them losing. Because we sat there, when Case Keenum threw the interception, we sat there in the press box and said, uh, I mean, this is we were prophetic on this. I mean, just we had talked about it and talked about it and talked about it, and then it happened. He threw that pass, and this time it wasn't dropped. And that was the exact scenario that we laid out how they could lose, that Drew Brees would bring – the Saints back and he would be great and he was and then of course it went the other direction because of a, an incredible play but sure. I, there's no Drew Brees in this game so if the Vikings win then they must have done what Judd if Vikings win um they they must have have played a second half uh, that, that was opposite of what they did against the Saints that second half will kill you next time you can't do that I, from from the end of the first half, basically, when Forbath missed his field goal attempt, and then you get the Keenum pick, which, by the way, was a terrible pass, and then you get um, uh, the blocked punt, and then you get the fourth down uh, conversion by the Saints. If the Vikings lose, if, if they repeat that, they're going to be done. And Zimmer talked about that. It is a, a day after press conference. He is exactly right. So... What they need to do is, starting with Keenum, too, they need to play a smarter game. And Keenum, if as fun as that was on Sunday, let me say this. Friend, for all you people who think I hate Case, if that's what, what you're going to hear, that's your problem. But Case Keenum, if that pass falls incomplete to Diggs, we, our discussion about him is, should they keep him? Because yeah. he made enough mistakes. I mean, go back, just... If you care, go back and watch that game and and don't watch the Diggs play because the Diggs play is phenomenal and it's somewhat lucky for sure and it's very, very cool. Take that play out, though, and watch his entire performance and ask yourself this question. Is this a guy that you want to sign to a long-term contract? Uh, I thought it was it was intriguing that after Sunday's game, Zimmer immediately in his post-game presser brought up the pick. The pick by Keenum was a terrible pass. Uh, so, so your jumping off point for your question is this against that defense, which is very good. Case Keenum needs to play a far smarter game and he can't have any dumb passes. I'm not saying passes can't fall incomplete, but if you're being sacked, don't heave the ball. And, and if you have doubt, don't throw a pop-up that pick was off of a pop-up pass that will kill you. That could have been taken back for a touchdown easy. So, so that's that's the start of my answer to your question is you need a smarter game on the road from your quarterback. The um, game, I was watching it back on tape, and just because the, it's so easy to forget many things that happen when there's such a crazy play at the end. Let me take you back to one minute and 40 seconds remaining in the game. Third down and five. Okay, do you remember anything about this right before the Kai Forback 53-yard field goal? Do you remember anything that happened right before that? 
I do not off the top of my head, no. Okay, and I imagine that nobody does. So Keenum dropped back to throw, got a little bit of pressure from behind him, rolled out to his right, and launched the ball toward Kyle Rudolph. Coming over was Marcus Williams, who came within inches of picking off the pass and ending the game right there. I forgot entirely about this. Keenum threw off balance, floater toward Kyle Rudolph. The cor- <laughs> the cornerback had his back to the play. If he had turned around, it's a pick. Marcus Williams comes just late. If he gets there, it's a pick. I mean, he almost threw the game away at the very end and basically got lucky that Williams was a second late and the corner didn't turn around, and then they're able to kick the field goal. But that's exactly what you're talking about. Is It wasn't, in this game, it was not just one bad throw, and then he played great the rest of the game. The, like, for Breeze, I would say that. Like, Breeze had that one really bad throw, and for the most of the rest of the game, he was amazing. With, mm-hmm. Keenum, with Keenum, there were a handful of these plays, and especially, if you go back and look at it, make sure you watch this play, because it was absolutely one of those that that we've criticized him for it was off balance it was on the move and it was to a guy that wasn't even close to being open and so I agree with you that if he doesn't play smarter and try to win the game on hero passes like that uh, then there is a chance we could see the same thing Uh, I would also say this uh, that Latavius Murray will have to run the ball better and the offensive line will have to run block better if the Vikings win this game. Do you agree with that? Uh, yes. Yes. And the, the, uh, the, in this case, to me, the offense is going to have to be really, really solid. And, and this is a good defense too. So it's going to, to be tough, but yeah, I, I would say that it's very fair to say that, that your, your run game is going to have to play a bigger role. Here's the thing you can't do. You can't, I can't say what what I just did about Case and, and then say that the game rests on his shoulders. So your offense, to me, Collar, is going to have to be very good as a whole. The last thing that you want, want to do is get to the, the start of the second half and say, okay, Case, go win this game. That's right. not feasible, right? right? So, so yes, to your point, I, I would say that the entire offense has to be solid because if you put this game on Keenum, I think it's not going to, to turn out very well. Yeah. So basically, we're on the same page that if they if they are walking off that field headed to the Super Bowl, then Keenum did not throw any bad interceptions and yep. they were able to run the ball fairly well. On the defensive side, I would say that they stopped the run because when I went back and looked at the uh, Eagles and Falcons game, one of the things that really helped the Eagles is that they pounded away with the run. They didn't gain huge, huge numbers of yards, but they did just enough to put it in the back of the heads of the Eagle or the Falcons that they, that they could break one at any time with those good running backs. And then they were using run pass options on almost every play in the second half where they were moving the offensive line around and, and making plays look like they were going to be sweeps. And then they would throw quick slants and things like that. If you can, completely shut down their run early in that game, then Mm -hmm. that almost takes away those run pass options and makes it very difficult for Nick Foles to move the ball down the field because here's the numbers on Nick Foles. Now, NFL play-by-play will qualify something as either a deep or a short pass, okay? It's not perfect, but that's how they do it. Nick, Nick Foles on deep passes since his magical year, so throw that out, since then, since his 27 touchdowns, two picks. 31% completion percentage. 
on on those passes on deep passes. That's awful. And yep. On short passes, sixty seven percent, and he has a fine eighty four point eight quarterback rating, which is not amazing, but it means that when he's able to throw short. He's a capable quarterback, and he can move the ball down the field, and we saw him do that with the Falcons uh, in the Falcons game. But if mm-hmm. you force him, just like Keenum, only worse, if you force him to work the ball down the field, you're going to win that game. Yeah, it's going to be – and the, the one thing that you're not going to have that to me was a big advantage is the crowd. I mean, that crowd I, – I don't want to say it flustered Breeze because he's been around for so long, and certainly in the second half – he looks great at times, uh, but you know what? Defensively, when, when you have what sixty thousand plus people cheering indoors, and that place the, the QB can't hear, it's a big deal. So this defense is really good, and and I have I have confidence that they will have a good game. But it is an interesting dynamic now when you take them outdoors, you stick them in a hostile environment on grass, where as you pointed out earlier in the podcast, guys can certainly start to slip and slide. There's just this goes back. To what I've been saying for two weeks. When you now have to go play this game in Philly, there's variables you can't control. And and so so you go from saying, okay, we're playing at home, we're playing in front of our fans, we're playing on turf. There's certainly things that we can't control, but there's a lot that we can control, to now saying there are a lot of things that that we hope go right, but we can't guarantee go right for us. Now, on the other side of the ledger, it's pretty much the opposite of everything we just said. I mean... If if they walk out of there not going to the Super Bowl, then that means the Eagles have dominated their offensive line, which is very possible with Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. And it also means they ran the ball extremely well with Jay Ajayi and with LeGarrette Blunt. I mean, they they have an offensive line, Judd, that is for real. I was I was watching that game back and I'm watching their center, Jason Kelsey. We, we love when Pat Elfline does it. Well, Elfline's a rookie. This guy's been doing it. He gets out there, and he plows people. And, and mm-hmm. it, I mean, <laughs> Lane Johnson is a bad man. I mean, they have guys who really move and are athletic, and I don't know that the Vikings have faced an athletic offensive line like this that's going to do so much moving of the pocket. And, and because they throw quick passes and because they move the pocket a ton, it's really hard to get your paws on Nick Foles. I mean, Atlanta has a pretty good pass rush, if you remember, and they sacked him once, and they didn't really pressure him a ton and allowed him to get the ball out on those quick throws. So I, I think if the offensive and defensive lines of the Eagles control the game, that mm-hmm. they do have a chance to win. Give, give me your breakdown on Foles. I mean, Foles at home uh, with, with a good line. What is what's going to be what's going to be their key uh, towards attacking this defense? Do you think, or his key? Uh, you th- Foles attacking the Vikings defense? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, for one, one of their biggest plays of the game was a 32-yard screen pass to Jay Ajayi, where Nick Foles threw the ball like five yards behind the line of scrimmage, <laughs> and then Ajayi caught it. And just ran. I mean, Doug Peterson is just as good as Pat Shermer when it comes to play calling and when it comes to to dialing up really unique looks on offense. So, I mean, the the number one thing is just execute what Doug Peterson calls because some of it can be very simple for the quarterback and yet really effective. And I think it's it's just accurate on short passes and quick, and that's one of the things he does so well. That's why he had that great season. 
he wasn't he hit on some bombs for sure to Deshaun Jackson, but most of his throws that year are catch it real quick, get it out, and let his guys run with it. And this team sure. has a pretty good supporting cast and a great offensive line. So if he can execute those short passes, then they do have a chance. The only thing is the Vikings have all of these brilliant players. So there may be times, and one of the concepts that the Vikings like to use now and then is called a robber concept. You're familiar with that, aren't you, Doug? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've heard of the robber. That, that's, that's inside football right there. Yeah, it really is. But the, the, Viking, the Vikings will use this from time to time, and you could definitely see it coming on a team that's using slant passes all the time. So that's where you have your two safeties line up looking like they're over the top deep. And that's the first read for the quarterback. So Nick Foles gets up to the line of scrimmage. He sees, okay, we've got two safeties deep. That means that I am going to have the middle of the field for my tight end, Zach Ertz, or for my slot receiver, right? Well, instead of dropping back, one of the safeties will jet to the middle of the field. So if you have a a, a quick slant coming over the middle and you think that you're going to have that because the guy's dropping back, well, you might not because here comes Harrison Smith taking two or three steps in to make that play. And, you know, the safeties are going to be a huge factor in this game. And if Anderson Dejo can't go, Judd, I would have some concerns there because Zach Ertz is the top target of the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, Dejo now, what I think the update from Zimmer on Monday was that he had made progress. He, he's certainly got, got to be in the concussion protocol. Um, but yeah, and you know, if he can't go, it's a big deal, which I thought, by the way, credit to him two years ago, I would have thought I would have never said that I, when they signed him to an extension a couple of years back, I thought, why are you signing him to extension? Go get a better safety. I right. mean, we talked about this early this year. I think Sandejo's turned himself into a very nice player. And, and if he can't play, that's a big deal for them. You're right. I just, I'm just going to have to believe Mike Zimmer and any decision he makes is right when it comes to the defense. I mean, Secondary-wise, for like, sure. Terrence Newman comes back, plays 60% of the snaps, yep. great. Trey Waynes plays 90% of the snaps. We would have been nervous about that before. He's been very good all year. Um, Tom Johnson playing in the three technique for 60 70% of the snaps. We would have thought, I don't know about the run defense there. He's been great. I mean, just every single button Mike Zimmer pushes on defense tends to work. And Absolutely. sticking with Sandejo clearly saw something. And what he saw is a guy who – flies to the ball and has good instincts and knows the defense really well. And I I think that the biggest thing about succeeding in Zimmer's defense is just knowing Zimmer's defense, Mm -hmm. knowing exactly how it's supposed to work and what you're forcing other teams to do. Uh, We'll also be watching Terrence Newman's foot because this team loves to attack the middle of the field on those slants and that they're going to go after slot corner. I think um, if Terrence Newman is not up to a hundred percent and that's another thing that we overlooked because it turned out how it did, but Newman got burned a few times and did not look like himself. And is, that could be an issue. Is Rhodes on Jeffrey then probably for the whole game? I would put him there. Yeah, I'd say so. That makes the most sense. Yeah. And Jeffrey's pretty good too. Yep. He's the one that can I beat like you. Him a lot. He can beat you deep. And even though it's Nick Foles, I think that's the number one thing. What you want is to force the Eagles to have every scoring drive be 12 plays, something like that. Storyline, too. Don't, don't forget, Jeffrey was offered more to come here than, than by Philly, and he decided to sign there. So, Because that surprised me when I saw that. I think that report came out in July or around training camp that the Vikings had actually gone to him at, at the start of uh, when, when he – 
hit the market after he left Chicago and that the Vikings offered him more to come here and he decided no. So, but it kind of makes sense from his standpoint when you already had Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Like, why would you go to a place where you're going to be the number three wide receiver? Um, and then, you know, it just, it's so funny that just like Marcus Sherrill's, how every year we go into training camp and we go, I think this is it for old Marcus Sherrill's. Like, yep. they're going to cut him. And then he wins the job because nobody else can catch a freaking punt. And, you know, I mean, Rodney Adams, they thought, oh, this guy, this he'll be the guy. He couldn't catch a punt. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess it's going to be Marcus Sherrill's then. And uh, it's kind of that same exact way. Um, who am I thinking of now? Why, why did I just lose it? Alshon Jeffrey? Oh, with, uh, with, um, with Jarius Wright. Sorry. Yeah. It's oh. the same way with Jerry's right, yeah. where it's, no, we're going to draft Laquan Treadwell. No, we're going to bring in Michael Floyd. No, we're going to have, you know, we're going to draft these two wide receivers, Coley and Adams. And now <laughs> it's Jerry is right playing number three wide receiver, just as he always does, because he's a smart, experienced player who came through in a really big moment for the Vikings. And it's funny that he just keeps fending off all these people to still have a, a role in this offense. So, all right. I believe. I believe this was the first training camp in about four years where I didn't predict Cheryl's would, would actually be cut. I think this was the first training camp. I think the last three years I've been like, he's not going to make the team this time. There's no way. I think this was the first one in like three or four years where I finally said, you know what? He's going to make the team. And we salute you, Marcus Cheryl's, for that. And you know yeah, what? That's a, The special teams will be a part of the conversation, too, because, uh, you know, the, there was a moment – just a moment where he looked like he was going to break one against the saints. And then he, you know, he didn't, but uh, then the, the blocked punt, that was a big deal too. And mm-hmm. you know, this one, this one's great because I get to channel my John Madden. I get to just talk about football. Like it's 1989 all over again. Or Yes. It's just like, the mud between you know what? Big guys, you're talking about big fat guys on the defensive line and offensive line and matchups field position, Judd. It's going to be all about that field position. You're talking Football, about quarterbacks who, are quarterbacks who, are, who are, are hard-working quarterbacks. These aren't glitzy quarterbacks. These guys love the game of football. That's why they play it. Yeah. This is, this, if, you're, if it's old school for you, then, then that's great. Then you're going to really like this game, I think. So, Okay, uh, anything else, Judd, that you have uh, in, we, Ju- in Judd's notebook? Yes, we have a referee assignment for Sunday's NFC title game. What is our referee scouting report? The referee is going to be big. He's going to be strong. He's going to have big Popeye muscles, and he's going to explain every call for for lengthy periods of time. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Ed Hockley. Oh, it's Ed Hockley. Hercules, the Milwaukee native, is going to referee this game. Now, interestingly enough, Ed Hockley did not work a Vikings game this season the last time that Hockey Lee saw the purple was uh, was back in the loss overtime loss to the Lions at U.S. Bank Stadium last season. Wow. Um, now I think that Ed Hockey Lee does really bad explanations, but generally isn't an awful referee. Am I right on that? Now I don't have refereescoutingreport.net up on my computer. Let me give you. Let me give you the, the statistics for uh, the 2017 season according to um, 24-7 Sports, okay? Oh, I'm glad that you have this. Hockley and his crew. So so keep in mind, uh, for games like this, it's an all-star crew, which I don't know is a, a good idea or not. But So his regular crew, 
called 13.44 penalties per game this season. That was just above the league average of 13.27. Home teams, so Philadelphia in this case, have been penalized by Hockey League's crew 54.9% of the time. Oh. That is far above the league average for home teams, so this is good for the Vikings, of 47, uh, 47.8%. The home team has won 50% of the games Hockey League has officiated. That is far below the league average of 57%. Wow, the contrarian Hockey League going against the home crowd. The call on the field is that uh, Keenum was had a knee down. Now he had a knee that wasn't down. <laughs> Because Keenum has two knees. He played quarterback and he was in the pocket, but the pocket was moving at the time that he was playing the quarterback. Therefore, there is no penalty. Oh. It's, it's going to be a good game. Oh, it's going to be fun. I'm ready. All right, Judd. Thank you. You're welcome. Goodbye. Thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast. Bye. Keep listening. We'll have more of them. Bye.